nice to see you all. Um, so we are going to be continuing, not finishing, continuing our series in 1 Samuel. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that we um, left the passage at a situation where there is a battle brewing. We've got the Israelites, the people of God, arrayed against the Philistines, and they are preparing for battle. But there is the added complication of the fact that the people of God are currently led by a very rebellious king. King Saul is no longer listening to God and following him. He's very much doing his own thing. And we heard that God has rejected him as king and has actually set apart another man who is going to be the king of God's people, a man called David. Now, Saul did not like this news and has been spending a lot of energy trying to find and kill this David. And so this explains our other confusing scenario on the battlefield, uh, which is that on the side of the Philistines, the enemies of the people of God, there we find David amongst them. David has, for good or bad reasons, gone off into exile um, to get away from Saul and his murderous attempts and has actually done such a good job of being in exile and persuading uh, the Philistine that he's one of them that King Ashish has made him his personal bodyguard and has taken him in to battle with him. Um, it's looking like it's brewing up to be quite a complicated scenario. Uh, we know, obviously, where David's real allegiances lie. They're clearly with the people of God. So we're left wondering, how is this going to play out? Is David going to turn mid-battle against the Philistines and work some kind of glorious victory for the Israelites? Or is he going to get crushed by the Philistines surrounding him? But um, you're not going to find out until how the battle pans out until next week. But what we do find out <laughs> is that God has different plans for David. And very wisely, the other Philistine kings look at David and they say, we don't think this guy is going to stay faithful to us in the battle. He needs to go home. He needs to go back to the place that you've given him. And so right on the edge of uh, the battle, we kind of have a Lord of the Rings-esque plot split. We leave the big battle to be continued next week and we follow the story of David and his men as they are sent back to their current base, a place called Ziklag. And it's interesting to, to note as we read this, we could skip ahead of this story. If this story of David wasn't included in the Bible, none of the big events of the big battle between the Israelites and the Philistines and the, maybe the history of Israel, none of the big events would be missing. But I think it's interesting that God wants us to, to see this story. See, God's eyes are on his anointed. God's eyes are on David, his child who's responding to him, whose heart is for him. And we follow his story today. And that's important for us to know because actually God's eyes are on us and he's following us with his delight. And he wants us to know that we have him with us as well in our story. So we're going to learn some lessons from David, who goes from one battlefield into a personal disaster and tragedy of his own back at Ziklag. So we're going to read from chapter 30 in 1 Samuel, starting at verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both great and small. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. 
And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So we see that David and his men have um, set off from the battlefield back to their base in Ziklag. And we can imagine that they were probably quite relieved to have been got out of that difficult situation. Maybe a bit frustrated if they'd started concocting a plan of how they were going to help the Israelites in battle. But certainly as they take that three-day march back home, they will have been anticipating seeing their wives, their children, seeing the place where they can rest enjoy a home-cooked meal, relax. But as they come closer and closer, they see columns of smoke and disaster has struck. The Amalekites, a band of raiders, have come and captured and taken their wives and children away and burnt their city to the ground. This is utter disaster. Now, for David, you might think that this would be the last straw. If you think about his life over the past years, he's been living on a knife edge for a long time. From the point where uh, God set him apart to be Israel's new king, he's been running from the murderous attempts on his life by Saul. Then he's gone into exile, and he's been living kind of as a double agent, trying to keep up the pretense of being one of them. Then he's been dragged into battle on the wrong side of the battle lines, and almost had to fight against his own people, and then he's had this exhausting three-day march home to disaster, utter disaster. And if that wasn't bad enough to add to that pain, the very men he's been leading and caring for have turned against him, threatening to stone him, the betrayal of his friends. But it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Now, we go from a point where in one verse, there's a lack of strength. They wept until their strength was gone. But suddenly in this next verse, there's actually an abundance of strength all around. In the, um, in the eyes of the, the men he's alongside with, they have certainly gathered strength. Because they've gathered enough strength to start challenging their leader. Enough strength to want to stone him. See, they've gathered strength from their grief and from their pain. And that's let that fuel their actions. The kind of strength they've gathered is a strength that leads to death, in this case, plotting David's death. But David, we hear, has found strength in a very different place. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, we might be easily able to think of um, times when we've strengthened ourselves in our grief or our pain, and we've let that drive our actions. But what does it really look like to gather strength as David did, to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God? Well, firstly, we see that it's, it's an active thing that he's done. He's not waited for some mysterious force to come down and strengthen him. He's strengthened himself in God. He's done something. He's gone somewhere for strength, or rather to someone for strength. And it's very personal. So that he's gathered his strength in the Lord his God. See, it's his God. It's not any God. It's his God. See, David has a relationship with the God of the Bible, 
Yahweh. He knows him as his friend. But also the Bible teaches us that those who have a relationship with God are actually his children. We're adopted into his family and we can know him as a father. And that changes everything because David now has the rights of a child to come into the presence of his heavenly father, the king of kings, and gather strength. If you think about how outrageous this is, think about it in our context of our queen. You can't just go into her presence. You have to wait for the very unlikely chance of getting an invitation from the queen, which for most of us won't happen. Sorry to let that into your lives. Um, But the queen's children, they have free access. Now, it's the same when it comes to David. He has access to the king of kings. But the amazing news is, of the Bible, is that we have that invitation too. And it's not just a written invitation, it's a personal invitation. The king of kings, the lord of lords himself, came down as the God-man, as Jesus, and came to personally invite us to come into a relationship. Not an invite to visit, but an invite for adoption. An invitation to become a child of God. It says in John 1.12 that those who believed in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So this morning, if you believe in Jesus, you have the very rights of a child. You have a right to come into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords' presence to gather strength in the times of weakness. And I don't know about you, but I think that's the strength that I want. The strength from the King of Kings who flung stars into space, whose strength leads to life rather than the strength that his comrades gathered from their pain and their grief, which led to death. So, strength is available to us. But what does that actually look like? What does it actually mean? What does it look like to strengthen ourselves in God? Well, it actually looks quite emotional. When we look here, it says that David and his men wept until they had no strength left. And then David is described as being greatly distressed. See, this is not some kind of um, hard general or kind of Jack Bauer-esque, act now, think about it later, feel later, put your emotions aside until the job is done. This is really vulnerable, and it's really open. See, this is kind of bad news for people like me because from a very young age, I came to the very wise, not decision, that emotions were bad for you. Emotions were inconvenient. They were the things that stopped you getting things done. And so my natural reaction to life was pull down the shutter, ching, 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 paint a little smiley face on the front, and tell everyone I'm fine. I'm fine. Keep back. I'm fine. Honestly. I'm strong. I'm fine. But... The irony of that is that that's not strength. That's just unreality. See, my default assumption, and I brought this into my Christian life, was that emotions stop you doing the things that you want to do. And in my walk with Jesus, I assumed that my fears and my upsets and my my worries, that they would be the things that would stop me following God. And so they weren't to be indulged and weren't to be given any time. But the reality is, is they're not inconveniences. They're actually useful. They're useful information about what is going on in our hearts. It's a symptom of pain. 
If you have a wound, the pain tells you that something's not right. And our emotions give us a clue to what's going on in our hearts. And it gives us an opportunity then to bring that before God and to receive his healing and his strengthening. But it only works if we open that up to him. See, the, the thing that really, really nailed me on this was reading um, in the Gospels where Jesus, the God-man, so the one who gets it totally right, he went to a funeral. He went to Lazarus's funeral, and when he arrived at this family who he knew well, he knew Lazarus who had died well, he knew his sisters, Mary and Martha, he arrived there and he wept. Now, I could just about get my head around that until you come to the next part, because the next part of the story is that Jesus then goes to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes out. He raises him from the dead. Now, if you put those two together, that just didn't work in my mind. What are you doing, Jesus? Like, I, I can get you weeping at a sad event. I can get you raising someone from the dead. But to do the two together, wasn't that a waste to weep? Shouldn't you have just turned up at the funeral and said, don't worry, everybody, it's fine. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Follow me. Just believe in me. And then go and raise him from the dead. Were those tears really necessary? But actually, it was totally right that Jesus should weep. Totally right. Because death is an offence from the enemy. It is a scandal. And seeing the sisters who were affected by this terrible offence, Jesus was full of compassion. It was totally right that he weeps. His tears aren't a waste. And for you this morning, if you're going through grief, or even if you're going through something that in your rational brain you feel is a small thing, but emotionally it's actually really big, then you need to know that God is with you, just as he was with those sisters. And he is weeping. He is with you in your pain. See, I used to think that God was waiting for me to get my emotional mess out of the way so that he could then heal and move on. God isn't waiting for you to deal with your emotional mess and then to come and heal. He comes with you in the midst of your pain. See, that's the moment where people like me are like a child with a wound who wants to keep it hidden. Don't want to open it up because it might hurt. My father's here but if I open this to him, it might be painful. Being emotional and being vulnerable before God it is scary. And if you're like me, you need courage to, to actually be real with him and say, this is what I feel, and I know I shouldn't. Or it doesn't, I don't want to feel it, but I do. Whether it's the pain of grief, or whether it's anger that has root in my own sin, I need to be honest with God about that because he knows it's there. And as I am honest with him, I open up the wound for him to come and heal, for him to cleanse and for him to bring his healing. See, I get frightened that it's painful and sometimes it is. But actually, that's when the healing comes, when I let my father come and heal. So we need to be real with God. We need to open up 
ourselves to him, and not in the way that I had a habit of doing. If you read my, my journals, you would find quite a, a funny pattern. See, I would, um, I would put something along the lines of, God, I'm, I'm worried about tomorrow, I'm scared about tomorrow, but you are good, and you are God, and you are on the throne, and you are mighty, and you are strong, so it's okay. Now, those truths are true, but notice what I'm not doing. I'm giving a nod to my emotions, but I'm not opening them up for God to, to see. I'm not opening them up to say, God, I'm scared about tomorrow because I'm scared about what this person's going to think of me and I'm ashamed about this and I'm worried about that and I hate feeling like this and this is some of the sinful thoughts that are going through my, he my head. But I don't want to feel like this. I don't want that to, to rule me. God, would you now come and heal that? And as we do that, he comes and he brings his truth. He comes and he applies his healing. You see, David doesn't expand much here on what his strengthening in the Lord looks like, but he's expanded wonderfully in the book of Psalms. Time and time again, we read in Psalms that, um, that David, pouring himself out to God, he's so, so honest. God, I feel like I'm surrounded by my enemies. God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? What are you doing about this? I'm terrified. I'm scared. My pillow is wet with tears. I can't sleep. I toss and turn. I feel like I'm in darkness. Help me. He really goes into detail of how he's feeling. And just as the Spirit of God gives him courage to do that, so the Spirit of God then brings truth. And you hear him praising. You hear him reminding himself of the truth, strengthening himself in the good news that his Father can heal, and his Father can lead, and his Father can rescue and guide. But we've got to open ourselves up if we want to be healed by his truth. One person who I admire and appreciate greatly as a friend and who really walks this day by day is my friend Heather. And so I've actually asked her to come and share with you. So could you give her a big round of applause as she comes? Thanks, Heather. Morning. Do you want to introduce yourself and just tell people a little bit about what you've been going through in the past months? Okay, yes, um, as Ruth has said, I'm Heather, um, and I've just celebrated a birthday, and I was just Ooh. thinking about, I won't tell you which one, <laughs> but um, I've been a Christian since I was seven, and so I've been a Christian a long time, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> and um, I was thinking this morning, um, over that time, um, the words from Amazing Grace really sums up my life, um, where it says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on. So I can identify with all that Ruth has talked about this morning. Mm. And then um, just recently, um, some of the trials have been big, some of the trials have been small, some have been um, life-threatening, and um, just before Christmas, um, I received the diagnosis of having breast cancer, which uh, stopped me in my tracks for a moment. <laughs> um, and, um, and the last sort of five months has been a journey up and down, and um, 
yeah, it's been um, amazing time, actually. But just like Ruth was saying, um, I, I know God is with me at all times, and I've proved that in my life over many, many years and in many different ways. But that doesn't mean to say you don't feel the pain or the emotion. as I am doing now. And it's all right. And I feel that's what God wants to say. It's okay. He understands. And the Psalms have always been a great comfort because David pours out his heart. Sometimes he's angry. Sometimes he's bewildered, confused. Other times he's on cloud nine and he's rejoicing and having a dance and a sing. But always at the end of each psalm, he turns back to God, doesn't he? And he says, I, yet I will praise the Lord. Mm. And so I can truly say that that's what happened to me over this last um, few months. And... I think we've been exalted this morning through the words that we've had, through the prophecy, through the interpretation. God is saying to you, it's going to be all right, but you need to look to me. You need to focus on me, and that's exactly what I did. And that's always been my default, really. I've always run to Jesus and my Heavenly Father. And um, the Word of God is amazing. It really is your comfort. It is your strength. And I can truly say over the last four months, I've, I've appreciated the word of God more than ever because it brings comfort, it brings strength, it brings direction. It lets you know you're loved by God no matter what you're going through. But the other thing I felt really strongly to say this morning is that you do need each other as well. We do need each other. And that's been amazing as well. The love from this church, the love from my family and friends have carried me. And um, I've got a friend who I call her. She's got the, a card ministry because I've never known anyone send so many cards. <laughs> but I want to tell you, they came right at the right moment with the right words just when I was perhaps feeling a bit low, a bit down, was struggling with the treatment. And um, it just lifted me up. And, you know, so don't despise, if you've got a small ministry, like don't despise it. God can use it in a powerful way. And then just to finish, I think, I'm sorry, I've gone over no, your question. No, you um, Was just, and it was quoted this morning, actually, Psalm 23. God wants to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies, in the presence of your hurt, in the presence of what you're going through. And that's what I, when I look back now over those few months, I can truly say I've had a banquet it's just been amazing. On the one hand, yes, there's the pain and there's the fear and there's the anxiety and everything that goes with a diagnosis like that. But on the other hand, I can see that God prepared a table through the encouragement of brothers and sisters and family, through his word, through worship, um, through an amazing prayer meeting, that, an impromptu prayer meeting that happened in my house the day I went to get my biopsy results. All these people turned up, and we had a bit of a prayer party, didn't we, and praise. We and I just floated into that hospital. <laughs> it was amazing. Yes, God prepared a banquet for me, and he'll do the same for you. Amen.
Thank you so much, Heather. So we can be real with God. We can be real. He wants us to be real with him. He knows what's in our hearts. And we have the right as children to come into his presence, to come and open ourselves up and say, this is what's going on. You know it, God, but here it is. Would you come? Would you take this? Would you help me through it? I was saying one of my um, probably most effective prayers that I sometimes need to pray on a Sunday morning is, God, I don't feel like worshipping you. I don't. I feel grumpy. I got stuck in traffic. I missed the chance to get a cup of tea. I'm running late. Everything's, I'm just not in the right place. But God, I want to want to worship you. Would you come by your spirit? Would you turn my heart around? Would you get hold of me? And by God, does he answer that prayer? Never fails to answer when we're just honest. So we can come. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come if you've got it sorted. Come when you've dealt with your issues. He said, come weary, come heavy laden. And that invitation is open to you. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you haven't come into that relationship, he says, don't worry about getting your life sorted. He sorts it out. That's the whole point. That's the good news of the Bible. Bring your mess to him and he will deal with it. And if you have questions about what that might look like, then there are going to be people at the end to chat to you over by the red sign. And if you are a Christian today, you need to hear that as well. Come to me if you're weary, if you're heavy laden. We, don't, we get into this crazy idea that we come with our mess then we become a Christian, and then we're supposed to have it all sorted, and we're supposed to be perfect and ready for everybody else. That's not how it works. We keep coming to him with our mess. We keep coming to him. We keep, keep coming. See, that was the difference between Saul and David. Both of them messed up. Both of them were imperfect. But Saul tried to do it by himself, and David kept coming to God, kept coming to him. Now, we, we didn't read the end of the story, and I'd encourage you to, to read it at home. But just to, to let it put you out of your misery, I can reassure you that David does pursue the Amalekites. They do rescue their wives and children. They do defeat them and get back much more spoiled than was ever even taken. It's a wonderful story. Please, please read it. But the reason why we've spent all of this morning on that one verse is because the victory of that battle actually pivots on this one verse. In the same way that defeating Goliath pivots on God's faithfulness, defeating lions and bears in the private place, so too our battles in life, our adventures with God, pivot on the decision that we make in the battleground of our heart, of whether we're going to strengthen ourselves in our pain and in our grief, in our own strength, or whether we're going to take all of our pain, our grief, our uncertainty, our confusion to him, and let him strengthen us by his eternal life-giving power and strength. That is a pivotal decision that we make. I know in this room there'll be many of us, like me and my home group, who long for God 
to move in a particular part of the city or long for faith adventures, are excited about the things of God, well, if you want to go on adventures with him, then we've got to get this right. Because his adventures, we can't do in our own strength. We need his strength because they are impossible. But with him, they are possible. And he has strength for us this morning. I've asked Chris just to play for us. We're not going to stand for the moment. I'd just like you, in the quiet of your own heart, to come to him. Whether you know him or not, come to him. He invites you in your heart. Be honest with him. Because he knows how you are feeling. Don't try and pick the right words to say to make it sound religious. He's not interested in that. He wants your honesty. Bring your point of pain to him in your heart and let his Holy Spirit come alongside you, healing and cleaning and cleansing. And he will strengthen you.